if we do that. Yet others of us, it's interesting how this works, right? There's some of us that we've just convinced ourselves completely that we really don't matter. There's others of us that think we matter all too much. Again, there's no amens from the back, nowhere is there. No one's going to say that about themselves, are they? No, no matter what side of the, the horse you're on in this kind of situation, you really don't want other people to know. and You might not even know where you are. But again, that's how amazing God's word is. It actually pulls back those layers we heap up on top of our hearts. And we convince ourselves, if no one else can see it, that God can't see it either. That's not how that works. We see right before John 3 and the end of John 2 that testifies, John did, that Christ knows the heart of men. It's true in a Sunday morning too. So then we need to ask a question, what's the deal with the list here? What's the deal with the list? Well, in the context, what was going on, right? They built the wall. They had a little revival. They brought the word out. They got serious. They prayed. They recognized what they had done. They committed to build booths, to commit to God's word, to his law. And then to get to chapter 10, they establish a covenant. This is where we're going to go. And then 11, they start putting feet to it. In order to actually commit to what it is that they said they were going to do in chapters 9 and 10, they had to actually repopulate and get back in Jerusalem. That's what's going on here. That's what's being discussed, is the repopulation of Jerusalem. Where they went and who went. And so the deal is that when God's work is done God's way, here's the point. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. There's no ministry too small, in other words. So how does this list help us think about our place among God's people? Well, there's a few different things I want to cover, and here's the first one. And this is about what God is concerned about, and we should be too. So number one, God is concerned about your orientation. God is concerned about your orientation. Now, I recognize when I wrote this first point, in light of a lot of cultural things that go on, it's very easy to read that and go, what are you actually saying, preacher? I'm not talking about uh, sexual orientation this morning. What I am talking about is which way we are looking in life. Which way we are looking. We've mentioned this in the past, but I know all of you drove here. We're not Amish. You didn't ride a cart, some horses or nothing like that. How well would it have actually worked if you would have turned your head around the whole time and tried to drive? You couldn't have done it, right? That's simple. Well, you might have done it, but maybe about, I don't know, 20 feet before you went off the road. It simply doesn't work that way. In other words, your orientation, where you're looking matters when you're trying to do something, and it matters for your life as well. So there's a series of questions with this, though. Now, what we would normally do, and it's interesting, again, how God's word works, is kind of read through a passage, look at it, read through a passage, look at it. But all the application here is coming from the whole context. So what you need to know is this, and I've already said it before, there's a list of names, and it tells us 
where they're going, and who's going. That's the big point. So here are some questions we need to ask ourselves, though. If God is actually concerned with which way you're going, if he's concerned with which way these people in Jerusalem were going, because it says, that's why I read just the first two verses, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. So they were going towards Jerusalem, that's the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in other towns. So they were going to populate Jerusalem and populate everything that's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. That's what's going on. Here's a question, at least the first one. This is the case that this is what they were doing. Here's where it meets us. They didn't live preoccupied with the people on either side of them. You'll notice here in the next verse, and these are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. You got those guys. Verse 7, and these are the sons of Benjamin. You've got those guys. Verse 10, and of the priests, you got these folks. 15, and of the Levites, these folks. 19, and the gatekeepers, those guys. 22, and the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was those guys. So on and on and on and on. These group of people, these group of people, these group of people. What you'll notice is that God's mission can't be accomplished if you're preoccupied with what's going on around you and not concerned with what you need to be doing yourself. So that's the first point application. Do you live preoccupied with yourself? We'll get to the others in a moment. Do you live preoccupied with yourself? We see example of this in the New Testament, actually, in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus said in his uh, Sermon on the Mount, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's really easy to get in that place, isn't it? God, they just don't see how good I am. Right? See, you don't see that in chapter 11 or 12. You don't see the being primarily concerned with making sure that other people could see how great they were. They were concerned with the mission and they got to work. But he goes on uh, in chapter 6 of Matthew. He says, Thus, when, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. What happens when we get preoccupied with ourselves is that we get preoccupied with how people view ourselves. When we get preoccupied with how people view ourselves, we forget about how it is that God looks upon us. And when we forget how it is that God looks upon us, that he actually looks upon us in love because of the sacrifice of his son, instead of looking upon us, waiting for us to earn our own righteousness, then what ends up happening in our own hearts is we become ungrateful, we become unkind, we become joyless, we become frustrated, we become angry. 
In other words, what I'm getting at is this. Do you see how dangerous it is to make yourself the sinner and not God? And it's like, yes, this actually does come from this passage. Because you see, in order for this to work, in order for this, what they were doing to happen in the first place, all these things that we're going to talk about were assumed. They had to exist for this to work. So that's the first question. Do you maybe live preoccupied with yourself? That's some of us maybe in the room. Other question is this. Do you live preoccupied with others? Well, they're just not doing what they should be doing. Anyone said that this past weekend, this past week? Y'all be honest with yourselves. I have too. It's okay, right? You're driving down the road. If they want to just use their blinker, right? But where it gets really hard, where it starts to mess things up is when it's coming from out of here very fast, right? It's ironic how that works too. But it happens in church. Well, they're just not serving where they should be serving. Well, I'm doing all this over here. Well, what about this? Well, they didn't do it this way. It's like we recognize that's a reality, and those things I have to I have to reckon with too. But here's the problem. If that's our focus, we can't count ourselves among the kind of people that are doing God's work God's way because we get so easily distracted. Are those things real? Absolutely. Does it take leadership? Absolutely. Should it be our primary concern? No. So, Pastor, that's convicting. I know. I had to look at it before I got up here. Right? Here's the next question, though. Maybe this hits. Do you live preoccupied with the list and not with the people? Preoccupied with the list and not with the people. Sometimes we we use the lack of structure in a church or maybe in other things as an excuse to kind of outsource love. I'm going to explain what I mean by this. We'll hear or we'll say or I'll say we need a list, we need organization, we need structure in order to do this, in order to do this, in order to do this. And most of the time you do, right? All of y'all that have jobs, which is probably most of you, if not all of you, there's structure at your workplace, at least you pray so, right? Maybe you wish there was more. And sometimes what ends up happening, we look at the chaos on the outside of the church, and we come back and we start trying to implement in church what we wish was out there. It doesn't really work that way, though. Or maybe this is something that kind of comes out of our hearts. We we can't because it's not structured. We can't do this because it's not Structure. We can't go see these people. We can't visit this, these people. We can't express love because it's not structured. So let me ask you something. Did you schedule when you tell the last time you told your kids that you love them? Did you have that on your calendar? Did you schedule the last time you told your spouse that you love them? How structured was that? What I'm getting at is this. Structure is great, and we need it to a certain degree. You have the lattice and you have the vine. But as is usually the case in churches right now in America, we are way more preoccupied with the lattice than we are with the vine. 
and we have a dead vine on a beautiful lattice with no life. But where is the life? The life is in the vine. The life is in simply loving one another, however messy or structured it looks. And if you did actually schedule when you told them that, do you think they'd really believe it when they realized you said it at 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. maybe every weekday? I think there's a pattern to this. Maybe if your significant other brought you a bouquet of roses and he said, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to. Gee, thanks. <laughs> right? So how come when we get to church, we use the excuse, I can't do this because it's not enough structure and listing to do it? Maybe what's actually keeping you from loving the other person is you taking the initiative yourself, no matter the mess that may be around it. What I'm getting at is this, y'all. You don't have to wait on me or anyone else in the church to love other people. Just do it. So, last question, this first one. If you haven't been hit by all these things, maybe you'll be hit by this. Do you live occupied with his will and his word is what I'm getting at. Do you live occupied with his will and his word, not with yourself, not with others, and not with just simply having a list? Now, some of these things I've said this morning may not hit a few of you. And some others may hit others. That's because we're all in different places in our hearts. But that's the first thing that we can gather from this big list. God is concerned about your orientation. Which way are we going? The, the direction of love or the, or the direction of pride and selfishness? The second thing is this. God is also concerned about his congregation. In other words, you matter to God. Do you ever wonder why we have membership rosters and lists? It's not just because, it's not really honestly just because we want to keep up with who is here. The reason we have membership, the reason we have a list is because you matter to us and you matter to God. When y'all hear me talking about membership and saying, hey, are you thinking about this? Or talking to others about membership, that's why. A lot of times it gets looked upon as though it's a burden or I guess I have to commit. Yeah, Actually, you do. Believe it or not, there were expectations of the people on here. But let me tell you this. If you were part of a household or maybe in your family, did it ever work where you got to just get and you never gave? It don't work, does it? No, and when you start going that direction, you hear from the back or maybe from the front, mom or dad saying, all right, look, you're going to have come to Jesus moment because you're giving, you're taking, 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 and you're not giving, giving, giving. This is important. He's concerned with his congregation. But before we even get to all the, what comes along with that, we need to ask this question. Is your name on the list at all? And I'm not talking about the church membership role. I'm talking about in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you his or are you not? That's the major list. And so what we are chasing is that you indeed do matter to God. 
That's why he sent his son. See, all this connects and makes sense. You were bought with a price. We see this in Acts 20, 28. In that passage, there's a charge to the overseers to pay careful attention to themselves and to watch over the flock of God. And then he answers the questions, why? Because they were bought with a price. Do you know why you matter to me? Because he bought you with his son's blood. Do you know why you matter to one another? Because when you look over and you see the person next to you and you hear their voice when you're singing, remember, they were bought too. So you matter. Their names were not listed here because they were spectacular either. Let's throw that out the window. Your name's not listed in the Lamb's Book of Life because you're so great, because JP's really awesome or something like that. No, it's actually a miracle that we're listed at all because we're dead, if you remember Ephesians 2. You literally have nothing to bring to the table except for need when you come to God. And he brings you to life. And he sets you on a mission. Their names are listed because of their devotion to the basics, actually. This is a kind of a wonderful part. In other words, you don't have to be a super Christian to please God. I really hope you hear that this morning. The same way we'll try to outsource love, we'll say, well, it's not structured, so I'm not going to do this. A lot of times we'll also do this here. I'm not going to entirely con- con- commit myself to God because it's just too much to do. Uh, hold on a second. It's actually basics. God's way more concerned about doing the basics well than he is about doing everything under the sun. These people, and we'll look at a list here in a minute, were not concerned about being extravagant, spectacular, or anything of that sort. We can put it like this, though. Long obedience in the same direction glorifies God. I love that phrase. I got it from Eugene Peterson. Long obedience in the same direction glorifies God. And I'll use an example because I'm there often. Right? And I've used this before. January, who all starts showing up? At the gym, all the people with the New Year's resolutions, which if that's one of you guys, awesome. High five. That's wonderful. A lot of times, though, what ends up happening by about the second week in February, they're just not there. And all us regulars are still there. Well, it lasted for a little bit. We'll see if it lasts longer next year. That's a little funny aside, but it also happens as a Christian. I'm going to commit to Christ and I'm going to commit so overabundantly that I'm just going to try to be the most spectacular there is. Because what I see a lot of guys do when they get to the gym is they can't lift or do or whatever quite as much as the next one, so then they stop. You don't get there by stopping. You get there by showing up day after day. You get there by showing up to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You get there by showing up to his word day after day after day. And there's slumps and there's rises, but that's how it works. I can't tell you how many people I've seen, even in my few years, as Christians chase the spectacular, be on the mountaintop, 
And then when they went down to the valley, they didn't just roll down. They fell on their face because they wanted to live in the mountaintop and weren't prepared to live in the valley. The glory is in the valley, y'all. And that's where these people were is the thing. And so if you end up waiting until you get to the mountaintop you'll, to serve, you will never serve. You ever notice how there's no crops um, or farms up on the top of mountains? It may be a simple observation, right? Where are the farms that produce our food? In the valleys. Isn't it amazing how God makes his world to reflect exactly how things work spiritually too? That's where the dirt's turned over. That's where the fertilizer is placed. That's where the harvest is. So, the work's done in the valley. That's where the harvest is too. But this also means for us this. You matter to God, so you also matter to the church. You matter to his people. You matter here. You matter at New Vision. And this leads us to our third and last point. Not only is God concerned with his congregation, he's also concerned with your dedication. So maybe you recognize, okay, he loves me. I'm part of his people. I'm also part of this church. Here's the work. Here's the doing part. So the question is this, will you do God's work God's way as part of God's people? Because they did. They did. Then if you answer that question, well, yes, okay. Next question is this, then where do I serve? Where will I serve? How do I serve? Here's six things, and again, I got this from Alistair Begg. This doesn't start with me, but here's six things that they did. And it's interesting to me. In fact, of all the parts that we looked at, this is probably my favorite part. It is amazing how mundane the things are that they did in this passage. Simple, 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 simple. Notice again in verse 2. See, we read this and we'll look over it, which is a lot of we do that a lot of times when we read the Bible. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. The first thing that they did as the people of God doing his work is simply live and show up. So if you've done that today, you can give yourself a pat on the back. Because there's some of us that are just here, and that's about all we have to give, isn't it? You don't have to say amen. I know it's some of you. That's pleasing in the sight of God. Hear me. It is so easy to go, well, that's just not enough, is it, God? That's not what he says. That's not what he says at all. And it is, well, I'll wait to get there in a minute. Let's just work through this. The next thing that you see that they were doing, so these guys had to live, these families lived there. Down in verse 12. You see this is talking about the priest in verse 10, verse 12, and their brothers who did the work of the house. And it lists a number there, 822. 
So the other thing they were simply doing is working. Right? How many of you plan on showing up tomorrow at your job? Some of you may plan on quitting, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's all right. Just simply working hard. How many of you work and do things here at church? You don't have to raise your hands. I know who you are. You feel bogged down. It's like it's too much. I just can't keep going. It was a simple expectation. They just did it. See, a lot of times the reason we get burnt out, and I know this by now in ministry because I've seen other guys do it, and after five years, you get close to that, getting burnt out. One of the fastest ways to burn out is to heap on heap expectations upon yourself that are not from God, that are simply from other people. Back in school... Well, when I did my undergrad, at least, right, we jumped, we started reading these awesome old preachers, Puritans, that's who they were. And some of these guys, like this guy named Richard Baxter and some others, would get up at 3 a.m. every morning and pray for hours before he even started the workday. And us young ministers, young wannabe ministers were just like, wow, these de the dedication to these guys. Then you got people like... Um, Oh, who was it that made a list of, of resolutions? Resolutions. Whoever that guy was, resolution after resolution after resolution after resolution, just committed, committed, committed. And we we're just like, wow, we were also humbled. But I understand now what my professor was actually teaching us is that that's great, but that is not sustainable. Don't let what they did be the expectations of what you need to do. And I'm telling you this now as just as Christians who love the Lord. Let the Bible be what gives you the expectations for your life. And the Bible alone. So living, working, what, what's the next thing that they were doing? Verse 16 and Lord willing, I've got to get better at the names. I'm going to say amen, Mr. Jimmy, again. Um, my Hebrew is a little bit rusty. But at the end of this passage, or the second part of the verse, you see, who were over the outside work of the house of God. So you've got people that were living there. You've got people that were working there, the house of God, and just simply working. You've got people that were serving in the house of God. Doesn't say how, doesn't say how structured it was, doesn't say how unstructured it was. It just simply says that they were serving. Then just a verse later, you've got this that says, who gave thanks. Just simply, who gave thanks. What were they doing? You also have people who were praying. Giving thanks is what you do in prayer, right? And if you do give thanks, I think we forget this sometimes. When we give thanks, we are praying. That's what that is. And then later on, verse 19, the gatekeepers, what were they doing? Who kept watch at the gates? So you got people that simply were around watching, making sure everything was okay. And I think here, here's a place that is, we've really lost, I think, in the church. I think a lot of times, and I've seen this so, 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 so much, 
us evangelicals are so heavy on evangel or evangelism, excuse me, on reaching people for Jesus, that what we end up doing is we forget to actually keep watch over the house of God. Now, some of you here, and I know you by name, I'm not going to say you out this this morning, but I know who you are, and I praise you. You are you have been gifted by God to be the kind of people that are discerning and watch out for His church. And I do not think you get enough praise. I think those kind of people, those those men and women who are concerned about what's this individual doing here? Are they concerned for God, or are they concerned to hurt the other people around? I thank you. Because we should also not we should not only want to reach people for Jesus, we should be protectors of the sheep that are here. And so they were living, working, serving, praying, watching. The last thing that they were doing, as far as I can tell, there were singers, starting at verse 22. The singers over the work of the house of God. Now some of you, like me, may like to sing solo that no one can hear you. Right? I did show choir, but it ended after high school. Others are gifted in that way. The point is not the singing, what comes out of your voice. The point is that they were praising. This list is the basics. Can you do that? Can you live where God wants you? Can you work where He wants you? Can you serve His church how He wants you? Can you pray? Can you watch? Keep watch over yourself and those who God has entrusted you with, and can you praise him and sing to his name? That's really all it is. So it's amazing how simple it is to actually serve, right? But here's the thing. Service to others does not begin with instruction to serve or how to serve. Here's where it gets kind of sketchy sometimes. Pastor, I want to serve, but you got to tell me how. I want to serve, but you got to tell me how. Listen, I can only tell you how so much. That's kind of like when your kids come up to you and they keep asking you how, and eventually you get, okay, figure it out. <laughs> right? It's not selfish because the reality is, is you're saying, no, I recognize this. You have got to push yourself. That's true for us too. So it doesn't begin with instruction on how to or that you need to. I'll quote from C.S. Lewis and then tell you what it actually begins with. C.S. Lewis says this, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Maybe surprising. I hope you hear me. He says, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. We get this backwards, don't we? Oh, boy. Well, they're not doing what they should do for me, so I'm not going to love them. Whether we know it or not, most of us probably, and this may be casting the net too wide, we live like that outside of this place. Do you think if we live like that out there, it will not make its way in here? And this is true for me too. Why do you think there's so much bitterness in churches? 
because they wait to love until it's easier to do so. Why do you think some of the things you're struggling with in your life are real? And God does not seem to remove them. He just won't let it go because he's saying, will you love like I have showed you to? And just do the basics and stop trying to be spectacular. I love it when people ask me how my church is doing. I love it. I used to not know how to answer, but now I know it's it's just wonderful. Because I, when they ask me that, I get to tell them a lot of times what their church don't have. And I'm just bragging on y'all for a moment, okay? Because what I hear from a lot of other churches is, we got this program, we got this ministry, we're doing this, we're giving out food here, we're doing this, we got all all these, these youth here, we're going to... Uh, this trip and that trip and all these things. And that's wonderful. God has not gifted me administratively enough to be able to manifest all that presently, but that's okay. Because that's not my primary concern. And so when they ask me, what I get to tell them is, my people are just really sweet and kind. They love each other well. How about yours? You can't manifest that through any other way than simply relying on the gospel and being in God's word. See, the ministries that pour out from that kind of real love and missional focus are the ones that are good and that last and that really produce kingdom work. I don't want anything that doesn't start there. And I don't believe you do either. But here's the kicker. So we recognize it all begins with love and I'm about out of time. What's dangerous is when we become so concerned with the cleanliness of the feeding trough that we end up starving the ox. Here's my point. We get that from Proverbs 14.4. In other words, dedication to his work is messy, y'all. I can't tell you the preachers I've heard. I'm just using that as an example. Right there in school. And then they get talking about all the work that they want to do. <laughs> it's fun because I'm like, let me just tell you some of the things you're going to have to do, boy, that you should be willing to do. I remember it was such a wonderful, humbling experience. <laughs> I think it was the first year I got here, the first winter. Some of y'all remember this. What happened after it got real cold? Pipes burst, didn't they? Never thought I'd be doing that. But a lot of times, that's where the real ministry is. And it is messy. But do you ever see the glorious things that God brings up out of the mess? Have you ever wondered, and this is a bit, um, it's not clean. It's not, it's, not, it's not like pretty illustration. It is clean, but it's not pretty. Why is it that we put manure in our gardens? Let me think about that simply for a moment. Who in the world besides our God would make it work that way? And yet that's how it works in his world. If it's how it works in his world, why do we think it would not be how it works in our hearts? It's the messy and the ugly sometimes that brings him the most glory. 
right? We see that in our houses. We see that in our families and all these other things. Now, that doesn't mean we chase the mess, but it does mean this. The goal is not order. The goal is his glory. And he's also enlisted others alongside you. So, he is concerned with your dedication, and all these things are good, but be prepared for your dedication to go completely unnoticed by men. Don't expect anyone to notice what you do for him. And even though it may go unnoticed by others around you and unnoticed by probably most people your whole life, recognize this, it will never get unnoticed by God. Jesus knows the heart of man. He sees you. And so we end up back where we started. You matter to God. You matter to God. What does that mean we should do? Love his people. Same way there are folks next to these people here, there's folks next to you here, next to you in your life. Ask God, how can I love them more? So as we close, maybe all this sounds foreign. Now simply ask this, where are you in your relationship with God in the first place? Do you know him or do you not? He may be working on your heart in ways that no one else can see but you. And if he is, submit to him and cast yourself on Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us that you got us and you will not leave us, Lord. And when we wonder where to go, how to go, and what, what it is we need to do, Lord, you are there to supply us with direction. Supply our church with direction always, Lord. The reforming in, in this side of heaven, Lord, it never stops. There's always work to be done. And Lord, when we get tired, remind us that you're there, carrying us through even at times. Lord, set on our hearts, each one of us this morning, in our lives, what it is that you would have us do, how it is that you would have us serve you. Open up our eyes to see how you're working in our lives and even working in other people's lives, Lord. And so, Father, we give you thanks for all these things providing for us too. And we ask them in your son's name. Amen.